Good evening, everyone. There is water all over the preaching lectern. It's glorious. Great. Well, I'd love us to consider the power of love tonight. It's power to transform relationships. And relationships are with people that we find hard and challenging, however difficult or impossible that might seem. And in this passage, Jesus has just called his 12 disciples, and he's now surrounded by them and a large crowd. Luke says, and the people all tried to touch him because power was coming from him and healing them all. The power of love is flowing out of Jesus. And now, looking at his disciples, he gives them his beatitudes. He, he says who he wants to bless, and then he starts this teaching. So the command to love our enemies comes right as Jesus' opening move. It's his 101 teaching. It's not the, the grand summit that we come to later on in our discipleship. It's base camp. It's the litmus test of our lives as Christians. But if you're anything like me, you may often ignore this command because life is hard. I mean, when somebody slights me, how do I not let resentment take hold of my heart? When somebody insults me or attacks me, how do I not feel bitterness growing within me? When I'm subject to uh, sarcasm or condemnation, how do I stop my heart from just growing very cold and hard? And Jesus knows that this is the stuff of life, and that's why he starts with this key teaching. Because he's well aware that you and I are going to meet opposition in our life every day. He's just proclaimed the kingdom of heaven, and he knows that the kingdom of this world is going to come against that. And he wants to protect our heart. He wants to protect your heart and my heart because our hearts can so easily grow hard. As the writer of Proverbs says, each heart knows its own bitterness and no one else can share its joy. Jesus doesn't want you and I locked up in bitterness. He wants us to be people of joy, like we've been feeling great joy celebrating Dan's baptism tonight. And then loving his enemies, it's the very premise of Jesus' ministry. It's what he's come to do. He loves his enemies from start to finish of the three years. And as we'll see later and dig into later, it absolutely underpins his mission. And so we're to do the same. We're to love our enemies. And I don't know who you think your enemies are. Maybe it's somebody at work or maybe somebody that you feel you're competing with. Perhaps you're a victim of prejudice or stigma in some way. Maybe your enemies are a whole people group. Or perhaps, most painfully, you've had a friend who then you feel has betrayed you and they've become your enemy. 
And what's your instinctive response, I wonder, to being attacked or threatened? My wife, who's a clinical psychologist, says it's likely to be one of four responses. Fight, flight, freeze, or appease. So, escalating discomfort leads me to flight. Uh, intellectual challenge leads me to fight. Uh, when I am threatened in some way, physically perhaps, I might freeze. If I feel emotionally uncomfortable in a situation, I might try to appease the other person. Now, it'll be different for you. We're all wired differently. But these are the four responses we tend to fall into. And it goes further these days, because we're all part now of what's called the culture of contempt. We all know how tribalism has taken hold of our social media, and fear has fueled very strong opinions. And the trend now tends to be ignore or insult or destroy the other person. And into this context, Jesus commands, love your enemies. And that love in the Greek is agape love. It's not filial love, which is the love that you might have for a friend. It's agape love. It's self-giving love. It's self-sacrificing love. I remember arriving in this church to serve, and very early on, I, I gave a sermon, and um, I decided to include a short film clip, which was a bit edgy, but I thought perhaps might be helpful. And after I preached, this uh, middle-aged man came up to me, said hello, said how much he'd appreciated the sermon, until I showed that clip. And that he wanted me to know that when I'd shown that, the Holy Spirit had left the building. <laughs> God had just kind of vacated the space. And um, I won't tell you what I thought of him, but I asked some other people and colleagues how they'd found the sermon and the clip, and, and they were a little bit more encouraging. And um, as the days went by, whenever I thought of this man, Pete, it was essentially on a kind of spectrum frankly, from condescension to contempt, but certainly no kind of love. In fact, I, I rather feasted on the idea of imagining a further argument with Pete, or a kind of duel, or a pitched battle, or full-scale nuclear attack. <laughs> and a mentor then told me that actually he felt it was important that I had a conversation with Pete that rather than turning my back to him, I pressed into him. And reluctantly, that's what I chose to do. And I did that uh, in the bar uh, on a church weekend away a few weeks later. And I prayed first, mercifully, and I think Pete probably had too, because he knew we were going to meet. And um, essentially, we kind of faced off uh, about which of us had a kind of better purchase on the movements of the Holy Spirit. It was, it was a bit pathetic. But after about 15 minutes, I, I just saw how much Pete loved Jesus. And I think he saw how much I loved Jesus too. 
And after those 15 minutes, we, we literally fell into each other's arms. It was extraordinary. And when Pete had to move away from church a few years later and move across the country, I actually found I was heartbroken. We'd gone from being enemies to the firmest friends. And in our passage, Jesus gives us a kind of how-to about turning an enemy into a friend. He says, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who ill-treat you. He's essentially saying, when threatened, lean into the other person, get closer. And if it's not possible or safe or wise to do that, at the very least, bless their name and pray for them. I've just read from a, a new memoir by a soldier who served in Vietnam, and um, he describes how to survive. He had to dehumanize the enemy. He had to turn the Viet Cong into monsters, a bit like I'd found myself dehumanizing Pete. And doing this, this soldier said, it really helped him to put other men in their graves. But he comments that it was a deal with the devil. Because in doing that, he not only killed many, but he actually robbed himself of his own humanity. And he adds in a chilling phrase, the dead sleep on your chest. By contrast, the US band The Brilliance have a song which goes like this. When I look into the face of my enemy, I see my brother. I see my brother or my sister. But you can't see that in another person unless you get up close. Unless you see the human being who is there behind the challenge. So that's a little bit about Jesus' how-to in this passage. But why are we to love our enemies? Especially if it comes at some kind of cost to ourselves. After all, maybe you think, uh, as I do often, I'm a relatively nice, kind, loving person. Doesn't that make me a good disciple? No, not according to Jesus in this passage. It's not enough. He says this, if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners expecting to be repaid in full. Jesus' word here for credit in the Greek is charis, Greek, uh, grace, sorry, which means uh, unmerited reward. Essentially what Jesus is saying is this, uh, if you love hanging out with your mates, if you love giving them a hand when they're moving house, just as they'll do for you, or you love uh, lending them a bit of money uh, when they're strapped, as you know they'll do for you likewise. That's wonderful, but that's not agape love. That's not grace. That's not the love of Christ. That's actually just the entry level for being human. No, Jesus 
loves us, does good to us, lends to us, to quote our passage, without expecting anything in return. God is the God who expects nothing back from us. Jesus goes to the cross, pouring out his love for us without any expectation of return. No return at all. He goes there because he is love and he can only love. Scripture shows him going there while loving his enemies. And who are his enemies? Who are they? They're you and I. St. Paul says in Romans 5.10, while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son. Now, if you're um, a former hostile atheist like me, um, you may find it relatively easy to conceive that you were once God's enemy. If you've been a Christian all your life like Dan, that might be harder for you to get your mind around. But Lord Jesus, looking down from the cross at his enemies, prays to God this, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. He says they're ignorant. He says they're in the grip of sin. He says they can't see straight. They're in a fog. And he only shows mercy. Just as the Father shows mercy. And so Jesus says in this passage to us, be merciful just as the Father is merciful. Show mercy to others just as God has shown mercy to you. It's like this. Jesus has he's run across enemy lines into our midst and he's only shown us love. And we're the people who've run up the white flag And we've fallen into his arms in thanks, restored as beloved sons and daughters of God. And if we fail to love our enemies, it's really like this. It's like we turn back to those enemy lines that we've been fighting behind, looking at those we've been with, and we pelt them with stones. Or at the very least, we fail to excuse their ignorance. For they too know not what they do. Jesus looked into your face, the face of an enemy, and he saw the face of a brother and the face of a sister. He forgave the enemy in us. And as a result, he walked through life in perfect freedom, as he wants us to do. He never got mired in resentment or bitterness. He just took blows. Took blows to the cheek. In the Greek, it says jaw. In other words, he took a slug to the jaw. And he only gave back love in return. And as we rest in his mercy, he helps us to do the same. And we start to learn the power, the transforming power of his love. I ran a small group uh, in Alpha with my wife, Jen, and um, a guy I'll call Leo uh, arrived uh, dressed in black leathers from head to foot, uh, scowling every week, exactly the same. Uh, He'd been dragged there 
by his girlfriend, kicking and screaming. And uh, Leo used to arrive with contempt and scorn, and he'd launch it at us like missiles, because we were the Jesus guys. And um, he essentially was doing just what I'd done about a year earlier, when I'd come to Alpha, except I'd been a a little bit more passive-aggressive about it. (laughs) And each week, Jen and I simply sought to love him, to to love him as best we could. And at outside sessions, we blessed his name, and we prayed for him. And over the weeks, this is what we saw. Leo began to struggle seeing us as two-dimensional enemies, as kind of impersonal targets. As he looked at us, he started to see the face of a brother and a sister. Because when we're courageously and persistently loving in the face of attack, it tends to change the perspective of the other person. They can't objectify us any longer. They begin to see us as people of kindness and even potential. And Leo discovered and received the agape love of God. Now, of course, that was incredibly easy for Jen and I to do in the safe space of church where Leo had come to meet us. But essentially, it's the same principle that the followers of Gandhi and Martin Luther King exercised in their context in India and um, the southern states of America when they made to love their enemies. Love and its ability to transform. And what Jesus says in this passage is this doesn't come from any kind of complicated mental gymnastics that we have to try and go through, trying to re-see the enemy in front of us. No, he just describes what we're to do in practical verbs, hard, concrete actions. Love, do good to, bless, pray for. In other words, kind of light the fuse, stand back, and then see what happens. And if you practice this, then you're disciplining yourself to serve a higher purpose, the kingdom of heaven. And you grow in strength. You become more aware of the potential of the power you hold, Jesus' power, the power to unlock and transform situations of relational conflict. The fact is, every enemy that we have is a love opportunity. A love opportunity for you to grow in the intimate love of God. Love your enemy, and you grow in love. Your enemy even becomes a source of blessing to you, a spiritual mentor to you. Now, at this point, we need to ask, does love our, loving our enemy mean that we tolerate being abused? What about that? Absolutely not. Jesus is talking here about community relations, not those of a marriage or a parent-child relationship, which are intimate and particularly sacred types of relationship to him. Faced with abuse, we must protect ourselves and put up a good boundary to our abuser. That boundary is ultimately for their good as well as ours and hopefully it will bring them to their senses. David flees from King Saul. Paul flees from his physical attackers. We have to be 
wise. But how do we love our enemies? How do we do that? Out of what source in us? When loving them might go against, frankly, every kind of survival instinct in us for self-protection. Well, our model is Jesus. And on the cross, he prays, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And what he means by that is not just that they're ignorant, that they're in the grip of sin. He means that they don't understand that they're dearly loved. So often, hatred springs from a kind of insecurity in our identity, a fear that's lodged there. And Jesus didn't feel that kind of fear because he knew he was perfectly loved by God the Father, as we are too. If we'll only know it and absorb it and live out of it, Jesus says, know that you are dearly loved, a dearly loved son or daughter of God. That is who you are in Christ. Know that no enemy can shake you in your identity. But we also need to address any unforgiveness that we carry in our own heart. Immediately after these verses, Jesus says, forgive and you will be forgiven. God forgives you and therefore you are to forgive others. We can't love and forgive our enemies in the present, though, if we haven't forgiven our enemies in the past. This week, while I was preparing this sermon, God gave me a, a mental picture uh, that I found really helpful. He, he showed me that little um, icon of a padlock on my Mac laptop. Um, if you've got a Mac, you, you click on that icon and it unlocks the system so that you can reconfigure your settings. And I feel that God is saying that there are some here tonight who need to, you need to click on that little icon inside yourself in order to have a heart reset, in order to know the transforming power of God's love. Jesus will pour the fresh water of his love into our hearts. It's what he longs to do. But he can't do it, or the water won't have much effect, if we're carrying toxic unforgiveness inside ourselves. Unforgiveness is really human. We've all been hurt, possibly when we were young and very defenseless, not as the adult selves that Jesus is talking to here. But we can't grow in the school of love unless we get free from unforgiveness. And how does Jesus advise us in that respect? Two words, forgive and bless. So I'd say that praying for people, I tend to see three things, three steps in people who are seeking to confront this. Uh, and first of all, that will be the person who comes and confesses their anger against somebody, but they're not ready to forgive yet. On that particular day, they, they can't go any further. We've all been there. And then the second step is the person who can confess the anger, but actually is also ready to pray forgiveness 
over the person who's caused them harm. And then the third step is where they can not only forgive the offender, but actually bless them. Pray blessing over their life as well. Jesus says, bless those who curse you. I think of a woman that I prayed for once, and um, many years ago, she'd had an argument with her brother in Australia, and uh, he'd caused her offense, he'd done something terrible, and they'd fallen out, and they hadn't spoken since. Not a word. Her brother was her enemy. But on this particular day, she prayed forgiveness for him, and then she blessed his life. And we finished the session, and three days later, out of nowhere, he phoned her from Australia, asked for her forgiveness, and said how much he loved her. When she blessed her brother, God unlocked the power of love in heaven. Because when we let Jesus into our heart, he can actually do a very quick and powerful heart reset in us. Let me finish with this story. Tom Tarrance is uh, a dear friend and a friend of this church. And in 1960s America, Tom was a violent racist and an anti-Semite and a white supremacist. And he was conducting a campaign of terror uh, in the Mississippi area uh, in alignment with the Ku Klux Klan. And finally, the FBI cornered him as he was about to bomb the home of a Jewish leader. Thrown into prison, Tom met Jesus in his prison cell. And Jesus worked a revolution in Tom's heart. Tom came to love his enemies. Every people group he'd loathed and despised. It was a miracle. And today... This mild, gentle man, often with a black friend alongside him, travels across America proclaiming the need for love and reconciliation. And Tom writes this, that hatred had infected his soul, but God planted love in his heart in that place. He says, of course, many people were slow to believe that someone like me could be set free from such intense hatred, especially so quickly. In the normal course of human affairs, that just doesn't happen. But when the Holy Spirit is at work, the impossible becomes possible. You may not be a terrorist or a racist. You may not feel that you nurse any hatred in your heart. But in your halls and at your work and in your communities and in your family you may find it hard actively to love your enemy. And only Jesus can pour his love into your heart tonight. So receive from him the one who loved his enemies as they flogged him and spat at him, cursed him, nailed him to wood, thrust a spear into his side. Receive from the one who is perfect love. You can't give away what you haven't received. And he's here by his spirit.
And the people all tried to touch him because power was coming from him and healing them all. Touch him this evening and be touched by him. And then go out with that blazing love and transform the world. Amen.